This is the tenth voice. Kansas City's LGBTQ plus radio magazine. The tenth voice, because we refuse to be silent. KKFI listeners, and welcome to Trans Talk, this week's edition of The Tenth Voice. This is Una here in the studio downtown at our world headquarters at 39th and Main. I'm in the studio with Rachel, who is running the soundboard, doing engineering, looking awesome in her black top, uh, probably <laughs> recuperating from pickleball injuries. It, yeah, actually, I did. I did sort of tweak tweaked my back last week in Topeka, but we, we brought home a bronze medal for ladies' doubles at the Sunflower Games, so yay me. Wow, you get so many pickleball medals. I mean, are you going to have to take like a shop class to build a trophy case or something? Fortunately, I was able to take a shop class because I went to school in an era where that existed still, so. Oh, wow. And you, you see, I see you still have all your fingers, so that's, that's good. <laughs> Do- Our other producer of the 10th Voice, Fiona, is at home where she is resting in Cat and Dog Central and joining us by Zoom. Hello, Fiona. Hello, Una, and hello, Rachel. Anything going on there? Um, This is banter time. You're supposed to have some witty banter. The cat is still guarding the window because obviously he's afraid that if he didn't prop it up sufficiently, it might fall out of the house. And he's doing sterling work, making sure that that window stays attached to the house. That seems like a good idea. <laughs> yeah, we. there's so many things I could tell you about what we've had to go through with our house lately. But we're not here to talk about my problems directly. We are going to start out with the transgender news of the month, as presented by my sister Nightshade, my alter ego. Then we are going to interview Scott Casey and Gavin Schaefer, two community activists from Blue Springs, who are trying to get a ban on conversion therapy against minors passed by the city, and their long struggle, which has come up against a few roadblocks, misdirections, uh, Kind of like Main Street out here, where everything's all being routed around. Uh, it is. It's like a big chicane, like a yeah, over over the road NASCAR I race. I don't there. know why I had to turn left seven times to get into the station, <laughs> but there you go. Uh, after that, we're going to have a little roundtable discussion about what activism really means, uh, using a real-world example of some things I saw last weekend that disturbed me. Now that could be a lot of topics. That could be. Yeah, it's definitely uh, worth hitting record on there. right now. But yes. uh, And then, of course, Fiona is going to finish up with the community calendar update. But first, let's hear a little bit of the transgender news of the month. Let's start with a little positive news. As of tomorrow, the 25th, transgender persons in Alaska will be allowed to use Medicaid money that they paid into over their careers to help them with their gender transition. The change comes after a lawsuit that dragged through the courts for two years, ending in a settlement last month whereby the state reluctantly agreed that they were likely to lose in court and thus have extended protections to transgender persons. While the victory in Alaska is very prominent, note that there are still 10 states 
out there that categorically refuse to cover the necessary health care of transgender persons. In late July, two LGBTQIA plus Biden administration appointees to the Department of Defense were unanimously confirmed by the U.S. Senate. Gina Ortiz-Jones was confirmed as Undersecretary of the Air Force, becoming the first out lesbian to be an Undersecretary of any branch of the military. Sean Skelly was confirmed as the Assistant Secretary of Defense for Readiness. That's, that's a, that's got to be a cool job title. I, I'm the Secretary for Readiness. Assistant Secretary, too. It's like, you know, Bat, Batman's always ready. He never sleeps. He, <laughs> he just waits. He didn't need a secretary. <laughs> Could be better being known for being ready than being known for unready. I mean, one thing you seem to have called ever ready, unready. So, <laughs> that's true. Having a readiness could have helped him. I'd hate to be the under the assistant secretary of unreadiness, but this makes her the highest ranking out transgender person in Defense Department history and only the second trans person ever confirmed by the Senate. You may recall the disgraceful episode that Dr. Rachel Levine, the assistant secretary at the Department of Health and Human Services, went through. Uh, being grilled for hours by Republican senators who tried to accuse her of being in favor of child mutilation, sexual torture, and beatings by Catholic nun dominiatrices in leather gear. Actually, wait a minute. Catholic nun dominiatrices in leather gear? Uh, did anyone check the sources on this? Um, <laughs> make sure that you give them my uh, special email so I can talk at length with them about... Anyways, the ACLU has been fighting the onslaught of right-wing hatred at the state level in America and has been pretty successful so far. First, a federal judge in Arkansas has issued an injunction preventing the state's ban on gender-affirming health care for minors from going into effect. The judge granted the injunction in response to a lawsuit by the ACLU on behalf of four transgender youth and their families, as well as two doctors. The decision doesn't strike down the law per se, but blocks it from proceeding while the suit is underway. The law, which is by far the most draconian against transgender persons issued in this country since the 1950s, was set to go into effect next week. Then a judge in West Virginia issued an injunction against the state's law barring transgender athletes from competing on school sports teams under their gender identity. This means that the state cannot enforce the law against Becky Pepper Jackson, an 11-year-old trans girl who brought the case while her suit is pending, so she can now try out for the girls' cross-country and track teams at her school. Meanwhile, hordes of angry Karens and Darens swear that they will flood the school board meetings with a, quote, Trump wave of justice, unquote. Uh, never such a poorly juxtaposed, juxtaposed set of words, Trump and justice in the same sentence. Truth. That they're going to, because they have to fight the, quote, transgender menace, unquote. And just to recap the news from two weeks ago, another federal judge has blocked enforcement of Tennessee's newly passed law mandating that any public building or business prominently note whether or not transgender persons could be allowed in their bathrooms. However, California had mixed results with lawsuits dealing with trans seniors. First, an appeals court found that even deliberate, intentional, blatant misgendering and deadnaming of senior care patients was religiously protected speech and thus could be done with impunity towards them. However, 
The same court also found that transgender seniors had an absolute right to be housed with others of their same gender identity. That being said, while a transgender woman could be housed with other women in the facility, staff would be free to openly call her a man, use her dead name, and even make crude references to her genitals in front of the other female residents. Words absolutely fail me. Transgender woman Taya Ashton was found shot to death on July 17th in her apartment in Suitland, Maryland, making her the 31st trans, non-binary, or gender non-conforming person known to have died by violence in the U.S. this year. Police found her shortly before 10 p.m. dead from a single gunshot wound. She was only 20 years old. D'Allen Devonta Price, age 27, is charged with first-degree and second-degree murder, among many other crimes. Although it is not confirmed if the crime was a hate crime, it appears nonetheless to have a link to Ms. Ashton's gender identity. We reported last week, actually two weeks ago, about an alleged incident at a Los Angeles spa where a single woman reported that a transgender woman exposed her genitals in the women's changing area. However, as there were no witnesses nor even camera footage showing the alleged perpetrator entering or leaving the spa closed or unclothed, it was widely suspected to be a hoax. Nonetheless, two weekends of violent protests at a spa have been organized by right-wing activists, with leading to the police arresting dozens last Saturday and firing rubber bullets when the anti-trans protests turned violent. The incident became extremely strange and scary, with mask and riot helmet-wearing protesters claiming that they were being supported by Donald Trump himself and making references to the spa being part of the so-called Pizzagate conspiracy network and claiming that QAnon had posted secret information that the spa was being used as a front for child sex slavery by transgender women. Some anti-transgender protesters even wore shirts calling for the murder of so-called leftists by Chilean death squads. Um, okay, uh, he may be out of office, but the raw hatred and uh, raw bizarre hatred uh, given free reign by Trump shows no sign of slacking off. And speaking of those who feed off the hatred out there, U.S. Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene, one of our favorites, noted for her various anti-LGBTQIA and conspiracy theory antics, uh, has called for the prosecution of those who raise transgender children, referring to it as, quote, liberal-backed child torture, unquote. Green is also a firm believer in the QAnon troll account, especially all the times that it has posted completely incorrect and inconsistent information, maintaining a firm belief in the Pizzagate child sex slavery meme. In case you're unfamiliar with Pizzagate, it was a trolling theory that went viral on the 4 and 8chan networks created on the internet as part of an anti-Hillary Clinton campaign uh, program in 2016. And it made claims that Democratic elites were trading child sex slaves just like Pokemon, basically. Gotta catch them all, right? <laughs> in a nationwide network of satanic-driven, depravity-funded uh, pizza parlors 
organized by none other than Hillary Clinton, George Soros, Bill Gates, and others, utilizing Black Lives Matter activists driving all black unmarked pizza delivery cars to ferry children in cages to Illuminati Democrats. Apparently, one recent claim being boosted by Green is that boy children are being shipped off to crude operating rooms made out of Chinese cargo containers, transformed into girls, given appropriate levels of brainwashing and psychoactive drugs to make them docile and receptive sex partners, then sold at auction in a secret underground complex in Juarez, Mexico. And just remember, folks, the good people of Georgia voted her into office with a 74% margin. Mm. Excuse me, not a margin, 74% of the vote. Yeah. And finally, the roast of the month goes once again to J.K. Rowling. I think Caitlyn Jenner is still in the lead by about a two-to-one margin in terms of roast, but Rowling, whose handlers and personal trainers are the best in the world, are working diligently in pushing their candidate in the race to the bottom. This month, Rowling jumped into the middle of a fray between transgender men and cisgender women, where Rowling clearly said that only cisgender women can be the recipients of obstetric-based violence, despite the scientific fact that some transgender men do in fact choose to give birth. Rowling then claimed that she had an anonymous, quote, tsunami, unquote, of letters from, quote, real women, unquote, supporting her in her fight against men trying to steal women's identities, meaning, of course, transgender women. And that the entire phenomenon of fake women, again meaning transgender women, was a misogynistic strategy in the war against real women to force them to, quote, sit down and shut up, her words. Meanwhile, I've received harassment from dilettantes in the LGBTQIA plus community who believe I'm being unfair to Rowling's constant transphobic temper tantrums because of all the great life-changing work she did by writing some inane stories about overwhelmingly white, straight, cis kids and their daily psychodramas. I mean, come on. Trying to find the non-white characters in all 4,224 pages of the Harry Potter saga, it's like trying to find the lone black guy in the Abercrombie and Fitch catalog. You know, Here's a hint. He's usually like the Uber driver in the background or the golf caddy, but you know... He's, he's hard to find, but there's always one. Uh, according to one blogger who did a survey, there are only five to seven non-white characters in the entire Harry Potter series. And you can forget Rowling's attempts to retcon Hermione as black because she very clearly is described as being whiter than Bavarian sour cream in the books. You know, for all, all the folks lamenting that Jeff Bezos didn't spend his money giving free stuff to all Americans for one reason or another. Not one person has mentioned that Rowling could provide life-saving, life-altering surgeries for about 75,000 transgender persons in the UK under the National Health Care Program, and she would still have more than $100 million left over to sit in her mini palace and blog all day about how transgender women are using their genitals as weapons of mass destruction. Why is that? You know, Maybe the time has come to stop living in a fantasy world where your so-called activism is sharing memes and signing change.org petitions under a fake name and get out in the streets and actually fight for transgender rights. I'm Nightshade, and that was the Trans News of the Month.
welcome back to Trans Talk, this week's edition of the Tenth Voice. Uh, I finished off the news rant uh, there with a uh, little note about what's real activism versus, you know, slacktivism, for lack of a better word. We have two real activists on our Zoom meeting right now that are joining us today. We have Scott Casey and Gavin Schaefer. Scott is a local organizer and former city council candidate in Blue Springs. And Gavin is an activist and a former student at Blue Springs South High School. And both of them have been fighting to enact an ordinance in the city of Blue Springs to stop, prevent, banish reparative therapy for minors and basically to prevent people from brainwashing kids into believing that they are not in fact gay, they are not in fact transgender, they're not even intersex despite what their DNA records say. Somehow it's it's all a big Pizzagate fraud, I guess. So I'd like to welcome our two guests here, uh, Scott and Gavin, to talk about the, what's a rather long journey just to get to this point and what happens next. Welcome to Trans Talk. Thank you for having us here. I will say that uh, I spent a bit of time on City of Blue Springs website going through uh, meeting agendas and minutes from 2020 on. Uh, this has been a long and winding road. The first uh, incident that I find where this has even been the first incidents I can find where you've brought this to the attention of the city was very early 2021 I think it was January 21st where uh, you were started working with the Human Relations Commission to recommend that the city pass a full ordinance and then it just seems to wind around like one of Rachel's terms a squiggly line story as it, the hot potato gets passed and then put off to the side and someone says they're going to work on it then two months go by and as I read through the saga it winds and wends for eight actually for it looks like 19 or 20 months until finally the mayor makes a rather uh, bold statement I will say that's uh, reported in the paper that uh, says that uh, he thinks it's just a feel-good measure in effect. So why don't, why don't you tell us in your own words how you got started on this? What was the initial inspiration and about that long and winding road? So I would say that it really started um, actually in 2019, believe it or not, because uh, we actually had to get to the Human Relations Commission um, which that was a feat within itself. <laughs> um, but luckily they were really receptive, receptive of it and um, passed it on to the city council. And that's really when the quagmire and the long winding road begins. I think comparing it to Main Street in the beginning of the show is like uh, quite a perfect analogy as to how it has been. Um, but um, I will say that, um, I will say that, I mean, when the pandemic hit, it definitely put a lot of things on the side, um, and it, including a lot of the legislation that, you know, other people were pushing and, you know, even the city council was considering, um, but especially in including ours, you know, community members, which is rather unfortunate, but, 
uh, luckily Scott kind of kept his ear on the ground for the period of time when everything, you know, really hit the fan um, when the pandemic hit. And I think Scott can really tell the rest of that narrative um, in terms of his attempt to keep, keep his ear on the ground. Yeah. So um, in terms of the timeline, uh, you may remember in the before times of 2019, Kansas City enacted their conversion therapy ban. Uh, and that was one of the things that, that really motivated us to bring this forward in Blue Springs, because although Kansas City has banned it now, of course, anybody can go to the metro area cities uh, where it's still perfectly legal to have this kind of practice. Uh, so we really wanted to push it out of Blue Springs. We wanted to hopefully encourage other cities to look at implementing a ban as well so we could get it all the way out of the metro area. Uh, you know, hopefully one day we can get it banned at the state level, at the federal level as well. Uh, but, you know, we think we, we believe that it starts here. Uh, so uh, the COVID definitely put our timeline on hold a little bit. But uh, I wanted to continue uh, after after students had gone and, and presented to our Human Relations Commission why it was important to them. After that commission voted unanimously that it should go forward, um, we wanted to make sure this was something that didn't get lost. Uh, so I stayed in contact with city council folks that were still looking at it and still supportive. Uh, you know, we at multiple points proposed maybe having a private work session with some of those council members uh, who maybe weren't as educated on this issue, didn't understand why it was so important. Uh, that never really went anywhere. But um, uh, at, at some point, we, uh, you know, there had been talk about bringing something forward this summer, either an ordinance or uh uh, at one point, they had talked about a resolution, which we weren't as excited about, that would have, uh, you know, had no real teeth. Right, uh, but yeah. at, at a certain point, it became clear that neither of those things were really going to happen. They weren't going to bring anything forward on their own. And we uh, kind of got to the point where uh, they uh, we needed to take action if something was going to happen at all. So why us would the mayor say that it was unenforceable and feel-good legislation when local cities pass bans on all sorts of things all the time, whether it be pit bulls or having your trash out by the curb, and they fine people for that, and they enforce it. That really strikes at the heart of the issue because something that is often talked about is that banning conversion therapy for minors is a family choice, and that's why they shouldn't intervene in it. But the actual like nitty gritty of the policy would just simply be putting conversion therapy in the already existing sections of the city charter that says abusing children is a crime. And, and it just classifies conversion therapy as crime um, and as child abuse. Um, so the, this whole notion that they can't intervene in this is not only like, like beyond the the determining factors of the law already existing, but it's just ignoring the issue entirely and just a cop out, um, which seems to happen time and time again, especially with the media. Yeah, Sam, yeah. for us, what what they're saying is uh, this is a smokescreen, right? This is something that they can say publicly, but what they really mean is we don't want to enforce this. We don't want to pass a law. Yeah, well, what yeah. historically the state has been able to intervene in family choices over and over again and been supported all the way up to the Supreme Court if they can show that the state actually has a legitimate interest in it. And the welfare of minors would be a legitimate interest, in my opinion. 
I mean, when, I would agree with you. once you start riding that family choice horse, it can take you to strange and scary places. Like, what if your family's choice is that your kid go to school nude? You know, how dare the city intervene in that? I mean, or uh, what if uh, you want to practice human sacrifice because that's your family's religion? You know, like, obviously the city couldn't do a thing about that, right? And it's that's it's yeah, you're right. It's a smokescreen, and with without naming any names or giving any reference was there a personal connection of someone you knew that spurred interest in this or was it just for the common good that you got interested in this subject and kind of expanding on the notion of um this issue of like enforceability is within like the state of missouri there have been three other municipalities that have banned it uh that being uh, St. Louis, that being Columbia, and that being Kansas City, and we literally we actually like used quite a bit of the language that was used in those ordinances when they were passed. And it's obviously it, it, it already has been implemented in municipalities within not only Missouri but across the country at municipal levels and at state levels. And so this whole notion that it's not enforceable is it's an entirely politicized and biased issue. Um, and it's really, and you know, Scott put it perfectly, they just don't want to enforce it. Um, so uh, it said in the, I, re- I read a news article that said that you would need something like two council members at least to uh, actually bring it to the floor or so the council could consider it. But you're not even, it, I guess uh, you don't know if you can even have two council members. I think our our Zoom calls. I'm sorry, we cannot having, hear you, Rena. Can Can you hear me? All right on the Zoom call. Anyone? Cannot hear Rachel either. Cannot hear us. Well, that's fun. Because okay. I can hear them. Yeah. Uh, it must be our our phone connection. Okay. Can Gavin hear us? Yes. Okay. We're good. Can hear you. Yay! I did nothing except wish that it would start working again. Okay, I guess... Uh, Good wishing. So earlier I made a question about whether there was a personal connection or for the greater good and, uh, you know, for... Um, and needing two city council members. Yes, and another another question about saying... The article in the paper said you needed two city council members to bring it up, but they doubted you could get uh, even two city council members. What do you think? We have right now two city council members that have said to us and publicly that they would support this ordinance. Uh, their concern at this time is if they bring it forward, it would fail, like what happened in Independence a couple of weeks ago, uh, where they brought a conversion therapy ban forward and it was uh, voted down. Uh, so they, at this time, are not willing to actually bring it forward with the two members that they have until they feel like it can actually pass. So that's kind of where we are with it right now. We need an, an, an additional two votes. Uh, to actually be able to pass this that we don't have today. Have the other council members, as have it, as aside from the mayor who was quoted by the paper, have other council members come out to say why they would not vote for such a thing? Uh, not at this time. Uh, we don't have any public information on, on how the other ones feel at this point. We just know that uh, they weren't willing to sign on uh, when it was proposed by uh, one of the other council members. 
I do know from having helped out in several local ordinances that were focused on uh, broader non-discrimination policies, starting with Roland Park, but also Shawnee, Lenexa, and uh, Overland Park, where I was really proud that I made a really big impression for Overland Park uh, when I testified there, that sometimes council members surprise you. They say that they're in favor, and then when that final vote comes, all of a sudden they change on you. And sometimes they change the other way, too. It's, uh, we saw that with Roland Park when they sort of waited until two uh, pro-rights council members were out of town, and then the opponents decided to hold a vote because they had a quorum. <laughs> Do you... Uh so, so here we are now. The you know we've been, you've been dealing with this now for two years, trying to get this passed, and uh, you know the mayor has made this sort of inflammatory, kind of outrageous uh, statement. Where do we go? F- where do you go from here? What is what is sort of the next step to kind of change the hearts and minds at the city council? Well, our feeling is that uh, an inflammatory response, as you said, uh, deserves a response from us as the community. Uh, so we do plan to go back to city council. Uh, as often and as, as much as is, is required to, to get some hearts and minds changed. We think it's going to take community effort and community involvement to really convince uh, anyone who's still sitting on the fence that this is something that needs to get passed. I don't know if we'll get the mayor's support at this point, but we don't really need it if we can get other members of the council on board. You know, one... Oh, go ahead, Fiona. Uh, I was going to say, do you feel it's worth actually having the motion brought forward anyway so that people can find out their actual council members position on things by having the vote and by seeing their statements uh our our strong preference would be for it to pass when it comes up so we do understand the hesitancy there there is a lot of resistance from council members to hold multiple votes on the same issue uh, so we don't want to get into a, a position where they don't want to bring it back up again for a long time. Uh, so that, that'd be the only thing with, uh, with that particular issue, is we don't want to see it voted down and then drought completely. But, you know, at, at a certain point, if they're going to refuse to do it anyway, we do think the vote is better than nothing at all, for sure. I think Governor wants to And something that's that kind of like represents that really well is that there was a housing protection expansion for LGBTQ individuals um, within the community, but that exact issue was brought up two years prior and they voted it down. And so it took like another two years to get that back up. Um, and not only do they not like repeating things, but they also have some hesitancy when it comes to protecting queer people. So unfortunate and horrific, but it is the status quo that we're currently working with. Now, there was a quote. Did you have another thing? I was just going to say, I guess that it's probably fairly easy to look at people's positions if the council body is very similar to that makeup that voted initially against expanding protections there. You would have an idea of people's positions and likely voting right. Yes, absolutely. Now, I'm going to refer to something that was reported in the uh, Blue Springs uh, news here that, and uh, it's going to be a little bit on the edge. So people out there, you know, open up your email, start your complaint letters uh, into the station and everything. But uh, the mayor 
emphasized that uh, no one should be discriminated against and human beings should be treated, uh, no human beings should be treated unfairly. And as a 74-year-old black man, he can write the book on discrimination. And I'm like, no, honey. That's like me as a whiter than mayonnaise person saying, I understand what black discrimination is like because I'm trans. You don't have any idea, Mr. Mayor. And uh, that is really such, there's so much to unpack in such a short statement. I don't even know what to say. Not all discrimination is equal and discrimination is intersectional and insidious and comes at you from all angles and i mean that's just that's just a horrible thing to for someone to say absolutely and um you know an interesting note he's been the mayor of blue springs since i believe 2008 when he was originally elected uh in that time we have not passed any major non-discrimination ordinances other than the fair housing ordinance brought forward by students a few years ago uh, which he also resisted. Uh, Blue Springs doesn't have a, a non-discrimination ordinance of any kind for employment, uh, so it's still perfectly legal to discriminate against color, gender, sexual orientation with terms to employment within city limits. So uh, I would say, you know, he uh, he claims to have that, that concern, but in terms of action, he hasn't really done anything to promote that. Well, some of those are banned on a state or federal level, like employment discrimination with regards to someone's color. But notably, the ones for LGBTQIA people are not included in those. So he's very carefully not advanced anything at all citywide, even to reaffirm the federal levels or expand protections. Absolutely. Do you, have, do you have a sense of is is the resistance to this this measure being driven by the mayor, or are there other members of the city council that are also sort of against it? And do you have a sense as to why that is? Um, you know, I would say it is just a, a resistance to change more than anything else. Um, this is something that's unfamiliar to them. They don't have this particular experience. Uh, they don't know people that have had this particular experience, so they're very hesitant to bring something forward that I don't think they fully understand, which is understandable, but they also haven't made any effort to understand, which I think is where we are are raising concerns. Yeah, I, I know this, this issue also oftentimes gets um, sort of convoluted with religion, too, because a lot of conversion therapy things are religiously driven by you know religious organizations and churches and things and then they sort of step back on the religious freedom um you know i think they all are i've I've never seen one that did not have a religious connection yeah it's something that i think is worth talking about is you know while this is like it is considered abuse and there are like legal jargony definitions as to what is child endangerment, what is child abuse. Um, Something that is really heinous about all of this is that it really is like one of the worst manifestations of spiritual abuse and spiritual trauma. Um, I mean, every queer person that I know has some ounce of 
you know, spiritual trauma and conversion therapy or parative therapy because it's so often, you know, associated with a religious institution, um, just is really the worst manifestation of that. And so, you know, like while while this is for a in writing, this this fight is for getting things in writing, it's also something that, you know, I feel like a lot of people, you know, a lot of people of faith can like relate to. Um, and a lot of people of faith that are queer. Um, it's incredible. Yeah. <laughs> We're driven out of their churches and out of their faith communities when they came out, whether as gay or whether as trans. So many, and so many people end up losing their faith and losing their religion and something that was a really important part of their life. So we're like the money lenders thro- driven out of the temple. <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. Yeah, that is in the Bible, I think. I'm a Hindu, so it sounds I sounds familiar. <laughs> it sounds familiar. <laughs> so I do know that there is going to be an August second city council meeting to uh, continue the conversation, and I know that uh, you're hoping that there's voices uh, to really help explain and to talk right down to earth in a language that everyone can easily understand if there's people that are interested in helping out or speaking or being there for support you know how could people get in touch with you do you have a facebook page or some uh place that you're organizing this from we do have a facebook page uh it is called blue springs conversion therapy banners uh so uh, that would be the best, absolute, the absolute best place to go to uh, be up to date on what our next course of action might be, or um, you know how people can get involved to potentially help us out and, and get this uh, get this passed in Blue Springs. Blue Springs conversion therapy banners. Is that one word or just? I see Fiona's trying to look it up right now. I, yeah, it should be separate words. I think on Facebook. It'll probably pop up. It can't be that many Blue Springs out there, hopefully. <laughs> nope, not. Um, I really think this is a very vital topic, and I really know that I speak for the entire Tenth Voice team when we say that it's really refreshing and touching and powerful that you two are out there and that you have the dogged determination to keep this thing going for so long and to keep being those people that stand up and make their voices heard not just you know sharing memes or whatever but you're out there and you're actually trying to make positive change and i want to personally thank you for the work that you're doing Thank you for all that you're doing out here as well. This is a, a huge help to us to kind of get the word out. Um, you know, anybody that has been through conversion therapy or has felt this kind of discrimination, uh, having them be able to share their story with the city council members uh, or, uh, or be able to, um, you know, educate the, the broader community about why mm-hmm. this is an issue, I think that would be so impactful. So if any of your listeners are... Are, are people that are, you know, in Blue Springs that would maybe want to share their story, we, we want to provide them the opportunity to do that. I think that is 
a great way to put it. And I think that the conversion therapy experiences of other cities, too, would apply. I know we had several people when Kansas City's ordinance was debated come forward to speak. So um, we wish you all the best. Uh, let's repeat one more time how people can get in touch with you. It was uh, Blue Springs Conversion Therapy Banners on Facebook, correct? Yes, that's it. Okay. Any final thoughts, Rachel or Fiona? I just think that this this practice of conversion therapy is so heinous and barbaric. And I've listened to several folks who have been through this and have friends who went through this as kids, and they're still scarred to this day from that experience. I mean, it's traumatic, and it, it really is child abuse, and it's something that does need to be banned and to be ended. Um, and I, I also applaud you for you know, doing this on a local level because as, you know, as more and more communities do it, it does show that there is a groundswell of support for this. So hopefully, um, you know, this can then raise up to a state and federal level. But sometimes the only thing you can do is you know, to start locally. And so that's what you're doing. I thank you for all your effort because it's definitely something that needs to end. Thinking of starting locally, do you only want people from Blue Springs to come to the meeting or anyone that is local and can share and educate their experience? We would welcome anyone who wants to come and share. This is obviously uh, an issue that's going to impact all of the Kansas City area. You know, if there's even one city that still allows this practice, that puts every child in, in, at risk in the community. So please... While we, we really want folks from Blue Springs because we know that, that they will, you know, get the, get the attention of the city council members, anybody who's had this experience, I think that would be worthwhile if they want to come share or, or write to our city council members or, or whatever they want to do. Thank you for that, and thank you for your work on this. It is so important. Thank you. Scott, Casey, Gavin, Schaefer, thank you so much for joining us today on Trans Talk, and uh, we wish you the best, and thank you. Thank you for having us. Thank you. We're going to go to a short uh, station break, then come right back for a little bit of dialogue and then the community calendar, so stay tuned. And Pal is misbehaving again, so that's fun. And welcome back. That <laughs> we're, was very, we're back. That, that was a, a short break of silence. It was a moment of silence. Yes, a moment uh, of silence yes. as my computer crashes here. So yes, it, it, we're going to have a really awesome station break here. It's going to be <laughs> incredible. I mean, they had like a fifty-six piece brass band and everything, but uh, we will have to wait until the computer system uh, works out. Or. I, and I just saw Rachel's eyes get really, really, really wide in one of those looks of absolute horror that you sometimes see in a film. But uh, that, that, yeah, you're not, you don't like your, seeing your sound engineer have that look on her face. Well, it's, it's one thing when, you know, IT things go wrong. It's another thing when you're live on the radio and they go wrong. It's actually, it is rather uncommon. But these things but happen, yes. so uh, we'll just move on here. I want to talk a little bit about the subject of community and whether or not there is a trans community or a trans family. When I first really came out and started meeting people in the Kansas City area in 2012 in the transgender community, I had this sort of, uh, oh, I, I don't know, 
grandiose idea that we were all one giant family connected together. We were all siblings. We were all a dysfunctional, crazy, nutty uh, family that sometimes hates each other, sometimes loves each other, but that we were a big old family. And um, over the years, I found out, of course, that that notion is wrong. In fact, a very good friend of mine, uh, Eve Golden, summed it up, uh, you know, a transgender author who transitioned way back in the uh, very early 70s. She said she felt the same way too back then. And after a couple of years realized that, no, we really only have one thing in common. And although it is a very profound and very meaningful and very earth-shattering thing in common, we're all very different people. And this was exemplified to me when I was at a local nightclub where I normally go. And I'm not going to mention names or places, but uh, I was out with two friends. And I'm the designated driver every night. It's Diet Coke all night for me. I take people home. I keep them safe because even in this day and age, there are an awful lot of people who still think they can drive home after 12 tequila shots and all sorts of unknown substances consumed in the parking lot, and I make sure they get home safe. And a friend of mine appeared to have been roofied. They were almost incoherent. They could not move. They were clearly very profoundly ill and not just from alcohol. There was something very, very wrong with them. They could not move off the chair. They were calling for help. Only me and my bestie came forward to help this person. And um, I stayed with this person for three hours and took care of them. I found cold cloths for their head, for their back, of their neck. I brought them water. I sat there and held their hand. They were reaching out, flailing for my hand, whispering to me, please don't leave me alone. I'm so scared. Please don't leave me alone. And there were people trying their best to interfere in negative ways. There were a couple of people who were there yelling, we'll just get her, get her outside and walk her around. She'll feel better. Said, no, she's scared. She's terrified. Something has been put in her drink. She doesn't understand what's going on. She's sitting right here. I almost came to the point where I had to have blows with a complete stranger who was drunk, completely, you know, blasted drunk, trying to take my friend away against their will. And there were several other members of the trans community nearby, people that I've known, some of them who I've known for seven or eight years or more, and who also knew this woman that was sick, who had been victimized. And I tried asking them for help, and they turned away. One of our own in our community was in very dire straits, and... Aside from me and my bestie, and my bestie, you know, is doing a lot of good work, but she imbibed a bit because, of course, I'm the driver, so that lets everyone else do that. And people looked over, and some of the people in the community smirked. In our own trans community, looked over, and they smirked, and they made jokes as I'm sitting there holding this trembling, terrified trans woman who doesn't even understand what's fully happening to her and can't even move 
And I thought, this is our trans family. I'll never forget a time back in the old Hamburger Mary's when I came in after work and I'm a diabetic. I'm a type 1 diabetic. And that means sometimes if I misjudge my insulin, my blood sugar goes low and I am in serious trouble. I could potentially go into a coma. I came in to Hamburger Mary's and as soon as I got in, I realized that the only thing keeping me upright had been my car seat because I was stumbling, I was almost incoherent, I was having trouble even speaking, and there was a table of about 30 transgender persons there that were part of this regular meeting, and they started laughing at me and making fun of me, and I started asking them for help, and they were like, oh, look at that, she just came from work and she's already drunk, ha, 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 you know, or what are you on? And I was whispering, please, someone, I need Coke. I need Coca-Cola, sugary water, basically, the fastest thing to raise your blood sugar. And, oh, look, she's asking for drugs. One person, one person stood up, came over, grabbed me, and said, honey, are you okay? And I said, I'm diabetic. I need something sweet to drink. Please get me Coke. And she got a giant pitcher of Coke, sat me down in a booth, and sat there and held one of my hands while I drank the Coke with the other hand and kept talking to me and calming me down while other people, other transgender women, wandered over from time to time to make fun of me as I was close to going into a diabetic coma. And, of course, I got better. After about half an hour... I told this person who I'd never really met before, I said, thank you so much. You saved my life. Well, these people made fun of me. And that person became my oldest friend in the community. Sometimes it just takes one person, just one person to stand up and do the right thing. When you see one of our community in trouble, when you see one of our community that needs help, it doesn't matter if you know them. It doesn't matter if they're your friend. Even my, and I've been in the community, I've been out as an activist, I've known hundreds and hundreds of people. I know I have lots of friends and I have lots of enemies. If my worst enemy that I hate from the bottom of my heart was in the same situation as his friend that I helped last weekend, I would have done exactly the same thing for them. I would have sat there and held their hand and made sure that no one messed with them, no one tried to take them away, no one scared them until they got over it and felt better. That's a community. That is a community. And like I said, I'm not naming names, I'm not naming places, but I do want to appeal that when you see one of our community, the, the broader community, or even anyone out there that clearly needs help, do the right thing and be that person that stands up and at least offers to go get uh, a rag full of ice to put on the back of their neck, or at least offers to be the person to try to run and arrange an Uber or something. Just do something, whatever you can to help them because goodness knows 
this world really doesn't like us very much in general. You know, even the most optimistic polling shows that barely 50% of Americans really even accept that we have any valid existence whatsoever, that we even have a right to exist. So life is hard enough as it is, and we've got to stick together and we've got to be there and be brave enough to stand up and be that person that walks over and finds out, is everything okay? And that's what I do. I see, if I see a drunk person who is out of control, it doesn't matter if they're trans, lesbian, gay, bi, whatever. I don't notice that. I notice they're in trouble. And I say, excuse me, can I help you? Do you need help? Can I get something for you? What can I do to make this better? So, please think about this. Think on these things. Fiona, do you have some comments as well? Rachel is trying to uh, trying to uh, fix Pal here, I'm afraid. So, I'm not exactly sure what's going to happen at 2 o'clock. I don't know if you want to talk about the community calendar or if you want to comment more on what I was talking about. I think it's really important. And the other thing is, even if you had been drunk, rather than having an insulin reaction, you still should be taken care of and looked after rather than being mocked. People can die from alcohol poisoning. You shouldn't be sitting there and saying, your friends, your family, people in your community should just be mocked because they had one too many drinks. They still should be sat down and large amounts of coffee poured into them and if they're still not recovering, maybe even taking them to urgent care or something. Just because it might be alcohol doesn't mean abandon them. And there are, there are ways to help and ways not to help. There was one very aggressive cis person who was getting in my face, actually putting hands on my friend. They don't know my friend. They don't know them. They've never met them. They're putting hands on their body saying, come on, I'm going to force her to walk outside because the fresh air will do her good. Maybe the fresh air would do her good. But at that point in time, she was whispering to me, please, Una, I'm scared. Don't make me get up from the chair. Please protect me. She's scaring me. She's hurting me. She's grabbing my arm. And I'm to the point where all five foot four hundred and seven pounds of me is about to have to start laying down justice uh, to protect this person. And believe me, I would if it came to that. And for you know, if that if your friend had been roofed, for you know, that was the person who had actually roofed them, and that's just the way to get them out of the bar and taken home. It At very the very well least, been. they did go outside. You would have to follow and check and make sure nothing bad happened to them. It is just something when I think about when I think about what family means. You know, Robert Eads, who was the transgender man who's uh, most notable for his uh, semi, his autobiographical film *Southern Comfort*, came up with this saying in the early '90s. He he may not have been the first one to ever come up with it, but it's very apt. It's uh, your chosen family versus your blood family you can pick your chosen family and you should pick them well and your chosen family has different circles you have the immediate people that mean quite a lot to you like rachel 
and of course you because we're married and I have to say that <laughs> and then there's the different circles around there of other people in the community but my goodness what happened that last weekend should not have happened that way and um, I, you know, you remember I got home about three hours late because of that because I was not going to leave that person's side until I knew that everything was okay so if you're out there and I know that different people have different abilities they have different physical capabilities they have different levels of mental stress that they can handle but whatever you can do please do it please be that person helps even if it's just moral support one more person nearby to say let me go get some ice let me go get some water or to be a barrier against the sometimes well-meaning drunks that want to do the wrong thing and I've been told that we have two minutes left Rachel seems to have come up with a good IT solution to keep us humming so uh I'm afraid that, uh, Fiona, where can people find the community calendar update? It will be online at 2 p.m. on our Tenth Voice Facebook page, which is www.facebook.com forward slash Tenth Voice. And I do want to call out quickly that there is a brand new KCCI Queer Youth Meter, which is totally new first and third Tuesdays of each month, and it's in person. And I know our youth have been missing that over the last year or so, so I want you to call back out quickly. I would like to thank everyone out there for listening to Trans Talk, this week's edition of the 10th Voice. Coming up next, we have uh, This Way Out, followed by Wings, and then Every Woman. And uh, you have been listening to 90.1 FM, KKFI, Kansas City Community Radio.